my fellow elder and precious friend, thank you for singing for us today. That was absolutely beautiful, and we're grateful to God for you. Choir, you just bless my socks off every Sunday, and uh, this morning was just absolutely fantastic. But you know, it is every Sunday, and I think sometimes I don't say enough because I'm just used to it. They're just incredible, but uh, I don't ever want to get used to a choir like you. So I love you. Thank you so much. Open your Bibles, please, to Philippians, the book of Philippians, first chapter. We're going to begin a new series today on the book of Philippians. After well over a year in Matthew, I pledge to you that it will not take us over a year to finish Philippians. There are only four chapters. But we're beginning today the book of Philippians. I want to thank Dr. Leroy Kemp for preaching for me two weeks ago today when I was in Minneapolis. And he preached a magnificent sermon, which he always does. And we are blessed. Thank you, Dr. Kemp, for doing that. And then thank you to Matthew Levant for an absolutely incredible Sunday, last Sunday, and the focus on missions. Matthew preached a great sermon. And to those of you who helped with the, the missions fair, what an, what an incredible day. Um, I, I think one of the greatest Sundays we've had at First Baptist Church, at least in the 29 plus years that I've been here, it was a memorable day. Uh, I, I think several hundred people signed up for interest in mission trips. I know that not all of those who signed up will end up being able to go, but a whole bunch will. And I think that goal of 218 going internationally in 2018 is going to become a reality. Thank you, Matthew, for a great day. I'm glad you're feeling well enough to be here. Matthew got the flu on Monday, so uh, it's been a great week, and we've been taking all the accolades for him since he hadn't been able to be here. I'll pass them on to you tomorrow, Matthew. Well, today, as we begin the new series, the theme for the series is the title of today's sermon, From Servants to Servants About the Servant. From Servants to Servant to Servants About the Servant. Now, stand with me. We have two verses to read today, and then you can be seated again. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people or all God's saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. From servants to servants about the servants. About the servant. From servants, right off the bat, we find out who they are. Paul and his young friend Timothy. Two servants. That would be the church, the believers in Philippi. About the servant. We know that one to be Jesus. And hear the words that I can hardly wait to get to. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind, or let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So from the servants, Paul and Timothy, to the servants, the believers, the saints, the church in Philippi, about the servant, that is Jesus. This is absolutely one of the greatest epistles in all the Bible, one of the greatest letters. An epistle is a letter. And there are so many verses. I'm not going to read anything else from chapter 1 and 2 at the moment, but look or listen, chapter chapter 3, um, just listen to some of the verses that we're going to get to experience. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Later in the same chapter, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. I'm going to read that again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things later. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So that's what we've got coming just in chapters 3 and 4, not to mention chapters 1 and 2. So as we begin today our journey through the epistle to the church in Philippi, let's talk about the Philippians for just a moment. Something about the Philippians. Now here's the setting. Paul and Barnabas have returned from their first missionary journey and their part and attendance at the Jerusalem, the very famous Jerusalem Council, where a decision was announced or God's will was announced so that all would know that Gentiles do not have to be circumcised nor adopt Jewish customs in order to be saved. They were really announcing very simply that all of us come to God the same way. And that is through Jesus Christ. It's not of works or customs. It, it is by grace through faith in Christ alone. So that decision was made and, and Gentile evangelism is ex- exploding and is going to continue to explode. And Paul and Barnabas have now returned from that journey and the Jerusalem council. Now, Paul and Barnabas part ways over John Mark. Later, John Mark would be very valuable to Paul again, but that's a message for another day. So 
in the context of Philippians, Paul takes Silas and he heads out on what we know is the second missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts 15 and 16. Paul and Silas are joined by Timothy. Pretty good threesome, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. There'll be another in a a moment, but there's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul's intention is to retrace his steps from the first missionary journey. Go back to visit the churches, maybe make a few other stops, but his intention is to go back where he's been, strengthen the work that is there. So he wants to go and tries to go to Ephesus. But the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit stops him. The Holy Spirit will not permit him. So he turns north to go toward the Black Sea. But in his efforts to go there are stopped. The Holy Spirit stops Paul and Silas from going to the Black Sea. So they turn west, moving toward the Mediterranean. They stop at Troas. And then the scripture tells us that Paul had a vision at Troas, near the coast of the Mediterranean, he has a vision. And the vision is of a man in Macedonia, which is northern Greece. A, a vision of a man in Macedonia who, who says to Paul, come over here and help us. Come over here to Macedonia and, and, and help us. By this point in time, Luke has joined the threesome. So I want you to imagine the powerhouse four, the incredible four, whatever you want to call them, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. I wouldn't mind spending a few minutes with that group. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, then in obedience to the vision that Paul had, they crossed the very narrow isthmus of the very narrow water body of water that is part of the Mediterranean and they land in Europe they land in Greece and then they make their way nine miles to the city of Philippi and because of their obedience to God speaking to them through the vision the world was changed Forever. It cannot be understated the significance of Paul's obedience in going to Europe. Now, there were already Christians in Europe, likely there as a result of the day of Pentecost, but there wasn't anything like what there was about to be because of Paul's obedience in going to Europe with his, with his companions. Philippi, the city of Philippi, was founded by the Greeks in the 4th century B.C. Here's some names that are pretty famous if, if you remember your history in school. Philip of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great, named the city after himself. It, with all due humility, I'm sure, named the city after himself. By the time Paul and his companions arrive in Philippi, it is a Roman colony. Now, listen to what happened in in Philippi. This just gives you the setting for where we're going. You know these names. Philippi is the place where Mark Anthony and Octavian, better known to us as Augustus, where Mark Anthony and Augustus and, and their forces fought against two other names that you'll remember, Brutus 
and Cassius, the two who killed Julius Caesar at two Brute. You, you remember that? And so Mark Anthony and, and Augustus fought against Brutus and Cassius and defeated them. And then Augustus turns his forces against the forces of Mark Anthony and defeat them. And the rest is history, at least as far as Augustus is concerned. And we know his name from, from Scripture. So Philippi is totally and completely now a Roman colony. Latin's the language. The customs are Roman. The street signs are, are in Latin. And the Greeks who continue to live there have now become the underclass. They, they are the, 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 the worker bees to serve the Romans in, in Philippi. And it's those folks that Paul will meet first when he goes there. Now, when he goes to Philippi, there's no synagogue. That's where Paul usually goes. No synagogue to go to because there aren't enough Jews to have a synagogue. It only required 10 Jews in one community to have a synagogue. There weren't even 10. So there was no synagogue in Philippi. So instead, the scripture tells us that Paul and his companions go by the river, go outside the city by the river, and there they meet a group. And I'll read what Acts says. Luke said in Acts 16, 13, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. This is some kind of Sabbath gathering of women. And at least one of those women believed in God. And her name was Lydia. And she's about to hear the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time. And so Paul and his companions share with with the women. And Lydia gives her heart to Christ. And her whole household gives her heart, give their, give their hearts to Christ. And so we find in some way that the man in the vision of, of the Macedonian vision come over here and help us was really a woman. And, and it was Lydia. And so here she is and she comes to faith in Christ. Well, right after that, Paul and Silas encounter a woman filled with an evil spirit. And she comes to Christ, the Spirit is cast out, and her um, her lords, her controllers, uh, the ones who make money out of her, really are upset with her conversion experience. And so, long story short, Paul and Silas get beaten, get arrested, and get thrown in jail. So now you've got Lydia and her family, you've got this woman who used to be filled with an evil spirit, and then in the jail... Paul and Silas are singing hymns all, all night long, singing hymns. And then there was an earthquake, Acts 16 tells us. And when the earthquake came, the doors of the jail were thrown open. And you would expect all the prisoners to run, but they didn't. The jailer came, frightened, afraid that all of the prisoners had escaped, and only to find that Paul, Silas, and all of the prisoners are still there. And then what happens? The jailer falls on his knees trembling and said, what must I do to be saved? How did he even know to ask that, 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 that sentence? He'd been listening to the witness of Paul and Silas. He gives his heart to Christ. So does his entire family. They are baptized, become followers of Jesus Christ. So now you have the church in Philippi. Pretty diverse group. 
you've got Lydia and her family. She was a pretty, pretty good business lady. She's doing, doing all right for herself. So she and her family. There's this once pitiful, pathetic girl filled with the Spirit now set free. She's part of the church. And then there's the jailer and, and his household. So there, that's all you need to start a church. There they are in the church in, in Philippi. And we read from Acts and we read here that Paul loved that church and they loved him. So now several years later, they send Paul, the church in Philippi sends Paul a monetary gift to help him while he's in prison, I believe in Rome. Epaphroditus delivers the letter and the a letter from the church and, and the gift, and he nearly lost his life doing it, coming from Philippi all the way to Rome. And then Paul writes this epistle, gives it to Epaphras, and says, take it back to the church in Philippi, and here it is, and here we are. That's the letter. So that's the setting for Philippians. Now, let's focus for a moment on the sending servants. The sending servants. In this case, Paul and Timothy, the senders of the letter. Paul and Timothy. Now, now Timothy's in Rome also, but not not in prison. Paul wrote or dictated the epistle. Perhaps Timothy was the amanuensis. I, I don't know. Paul is really the author, but he gives his young friend Timothy credit for being there and participating, and perhaps together they shared some of the things to put in the letter. But the important thing is that Paul says we are servants. And the word he uses is douloi. That's a Greek word, douloi. And that word literally means slaves. And that is really how the listeners in Philippi would have first received it, not as servants, but as as slaves. And that's a shock word, just as shocking to them as it is to us. And Paul said, we are... We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Usually in his epistles, Paul identifies himself, Paul the Apostle. But in two or three, maybe maybe even four of his epistles, he identifies himself in some other way. Here, he identifies himself as a slave, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he is saying to the church in Philippi and to us is Timothy and I belong to Christ. Timothy and I belong to Christ and we obey him even when it results in my landing in jail. We are slaves. We are servants of Jesus Christ. So they're the sending servants, Paul and Timothy. Then there's the receiving servants, those who get the letter. And that's the church in Philippi. And, and notice how um, it, it is worded to all God's, NIV says, holy people. It's hagios in the Greek, which really means saints. I like saints better. So I'm going to scratch through my Bible and put the word saints. Some of you may be carrying translations that say saints. So these are the receiving servants. These are the saints. What's he saying? He's saying the church, the saints in Philippi. 
Now, I want you to remember something. Saints are not super Christians. Every believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. We are set apart. That's the meaning of the word saint. Set apart. We are set apart. We are redeemed. We are sanctified by Jesus Christ. So, if you're a believer, you're a saint. Wear it proudly. Wear it proudly. Jack, how's it feel to be Saint Jack? Pretty good, huh? I kind of like that title. I, if you want me to, I'll just, well, we'll, instead of saying, hey, Brother Jack, I'll say, hey, Saint Jack, is that, that okay with you? You know, a chuckle, but it's true. We are saints. And so to the saints, the believers in Philippi, and according to what Paul says in chapter 2, we are to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it says, he took upon himself the form of a servant. So we are to take upon ourselves the forms of servants. So we are the receiving servant saints. The church in Philippi and today you and me. Paul also writes to the overseers, episkopoi. In, in Greek, overseers or elders, those who shepherd, those who shepherd the church, overseers, elders. And then he writes to the deacons, diakonoi, servants. The word deacon means servant. So he singles out, as well as writing to everybody in Philippi, he singles out the leaders, the elders and the deacons. And he acknowledges all the servants, the saints, but specifically the elders and deacons as leaders. So everybody's acknowledged, but it is a reminder to us that leadership is important in a nation, in a home, in the church. Leadership is important. So we've seen the setting in Philippi. We've seen the sending servants, Paul and Timothy. We've seen the receiving servants, the saints, the servants in, in the church in Philippi, as well as including the overseers and, and the, and the deacons. So let's focus on the servant. The servant. We are saints in Christ Jesus. The text tells us we are saints in Christ Jesus. He is the chief servant we see in chapter two. Jesus is magnified in all four chapters of the book of Philippians. It's all about him. And we will see that as we progress. And so if you look again at the second verse, Paul writes grace and peace to you. I, I heard Dorwin say that in his prayer. Did you hear it? Grace and peace to you. And that's what Paul says. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace was a word of greeting often found in Greek letters of, of that day. And peace 
is a Hebrew greeting in the in 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 Hebrew. It's shalom. We we know that word. We hear that word shalom. Well, Paul combines grace and peace, and he makes them distinctively Christian by saying grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace come from Him who reigns above. Chorus, grace in Greek, irene, peace in, in the Greek. And so he's saying, to the already saved, to the already saved recipients of grace and peace, more peace and grace, more grace and peace for you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice that he says, peace from God. The peace of God is what we receive at the moment of salvation. You receive the peace of God in your heart forever. But peace from God is the supernatural tranquility and peace that is ours at just the right moment. Personal serenity in our circumstances regardless of what they may be precious young lady named Rachel was killed this week you've all heard about it read about it she was a student at New Tech High School here in Belton hit and run she was jogging and someone hit her and they've they've arrested him they've hit her and so this is this has been a hard week for a lot of folks in Belton, the, the students at New Tech, the staff and faculty and administration have been, been a hard week. And it's not over yet. The, the memorial service will be this weekend. So it's, it's, it's a tough week. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all of the believers among our students and among faculty and staff. We have a bunch of them at New Tech and I'm thankful for the believers who are there. And this is such a hard, hard thing. But here's what I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Here's what I know. In these days, to all those believers, those believing students, those believing faculty members, those believing staff members, I believe with all my heart, I know with all my heart that you will experience the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ in these days. And you will in turn be able to embrace others and share with them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace comes from God and the Son. So that we can know we will never ever face a trial that does not have, that does not have available for us His grace and peace. Whatever it is you're facing or about to face and you don't even know it yet, His grace and peace will be yours. Now, What do we take away? What's the takeaway from all of this in in just two little verses? You know, sometimes we, we, uh, we, we read it. We're going to read a book of the Bible and the first couple of verses may be a greeting 
And so the temptation is to think, oh, there's nothing important there. I'll just get right on to verse 3 or 4 and just skip it. Don't do that. (laughs) It's all part of the inspired word of God, but there's a whole lot in those two verses. It's a whole lot. So what's our takeaway from all of this? Number one, in Christ, you are a saint. Never forget it. Number two, in Christ, you are a servant. What an incredible privilege is ours. In Christ, you may know his grace and peace and how we need it. And number four, in Christ, there is great diversity in the kingdom of God. This will be Dunamis' first day with us here today, our Hispanic fellowship. They'll be in the second service. They'll be in Sunday school. Welcome them warmly. Please remember. In in Christ, there is great diversity in, in, in the kingdom of God. Just imagine what an unlikely, you can, if you want to call it a motley crew, go ahead. What a motley crew. Made up the church in Philippi. Here you got Lydia. Pretty, yeah, she's doing pretty good for herself. Got some, you know, got her household. They're, they're, they're all right. Pretty smart lady. And you got this woman possessed of a demon. Delivered. Imagine that. And then you've got a jailer and his household. And those folks make up the church in Philippi. What a diverse group. And, and lest we forget, lest we forget, the body of Christ is glorious in its diversity. Here again, Revelation. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. This is heaven, friends. That no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Whoa, it's going to be awesome. But you know, it's awesome now. It's awesome now. So here I wrap it up. From the epistle, here's what we've learned, and we'll see as we move forward. From the epistle, like Paul and his companions, we seek to advance the gospel here and wherever he leads us. Through evangelism and discipleship, through church planting, through missions, we are committed to advance the gospel. In this epistle, we will once again be reminded of the importance of our joyfulness. Be joyful. We will see the word joy 16 times in four chapters. That's phenomenal. 16 times in four chapters. And then we will be reminded of the importance of our unity as the body of Christ. Be as one. And then we will be reminded... To be a giver, be a servant, be a giver, giver of your resources. Don't forget as we journey through here, that's why Paul wrote the epistle. He got a monetary gift from the church in Philippi and he wrote him a thank you note. So if there's anything about stewardship that we remember, it's that we should be givers for the kingdom of God's sake. And lastly... We are reminded in Philippians, let's work together to share 
the gospel as his servants. Colonel James Irwin was one of our astronauts. Uh, he was part of the Apollo 15 crew that landed on the moon. He was the eighth man to walk on the moon. James Irwin was a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. In his experience on the moon, he recounted in one of his books the thrill of leaving this planet, watching it shrink in size, and then watching the earth rise one day. You know, we'd look at the moon rise or the sunrise. He was looking at the earth rise, and he was thinking how privileged he was to be part of the unique crew of Apollo 15. Then he began to realize and think about some other things, and on their way back to earth, he was thinking about the fact that once he got home, as he had seen it with others, People here were going to look at him as a superstar, rock star, um, an international celebrity. And he was humbled by the awesomeness and the goodness of God. And so he made this observation. As I was returning to earth, I realized I was a servant, not a celebrity. So I'm here as God's servant on planet earth To share what I've experienced that others might know the glory of God. And that's what this is all about. So I close with this reminder of the words of Philippians that we've not yet read until now. Therefore, God exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, our heart's desire is to bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you for giving us the joyous privilege of being your servants. And may we be faithful servants in all that you call upon us to do. Father, in this room, there's someone who does not yet know your son, Jesus. And I pray that now the Holy Spirit will woo and call and draw that person or those persons to yourself, that today they might come to know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart to give your heart and life to Jesus. Will you come? Place your hand in mine. Say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. A member of the staff will be here to pray with you. You come as we stand and sing.